What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Hey, everybody. Today's guest has been inspired and informed by more than 30 years of experience. He specializes in hospitality and residential interiors, as well as high-end furnishings from concept to creation. He is the owner and founder at Bellico. Ladies and gentlemen, an amazing and a wonderful friend, Christian Schneider. Welcome, Christian. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. That's quite the intro. Like, wow. I feel special. Well, what, what people don't understand is that the real introduction was just before all of this. It's going to wind up on the cutting room floor where we were just laughing and having <laughs> such a good time. And if you're watching this, you can see I'm actually blushing. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. So thank you for making me smile and blush and getting all the blood going. Yeah, I, you know, I think I'm excited to actually be able to talk to you as who I admire as professional, but also as a friend and having a good time and really great conversation is something I really cherish whenever we have a chance to do so. Well, thank you, Christian. And I think just to go back into history and kind of like connect the dots of how we wound up here right now at this moment. When I, one of my first jobs in the industry was I was an intern at Hirsch Bedner. You did not work there, but Kirk <laughs> Nix did work there and I was an intern for him. And then years later, I'd lived in San Francisco, I think back in LA then, and you were working for Kirk, who was uh -huh. just so amazing and over the top and creative and, yeah. and just wonderful. And now you've been on your own entrepreneurial journey, which has just been really exciting for me to watch you because I just, I don't know, I just have this affinity towards other entrepreneurs. And uh, I don't know, I just feel like in that shared entrepreneurial experience between um, you and me, I just think that we've had so many conversations that are not, just not at surface. Like we really go yeah. deep, we're vulnerable, we're honest, and we just That's share totally. a lot of our experiences with each other. And we've been all over the world together. So it's just good to be here with you. What happened? Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you're saying that I actually never thought I'm going to start my own business, right? So we, you know, I grew up with family businesses and I saw the whole mess that's involved in, you know, father and son and brothers and uncles. And I, I swore I will never have my own business, right? And then, um, you know, being at KNA and having sort of seen into sort of the, another aspect, you know, the sort of lifestyle hospitality. And I was like, ooh, I, that's really something that interests me. And um, as it evolved, just sort of like the natural step was like, I couldn't start my own business. You know, I mean, there's a lot of gray hair. So I started quite late. Um, what are you calling just sort of entrepreneurship? Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny because as you were bringing up the family business side, this is a surprising memory that just popped in my head. My dad had a business and I remember at one point I started my company, my first company, I think when I was 26 or something like that. And I remember before doing it, I was like, Hey dad, I'm going to do this. Is there any way that before I go is, do you want me to be involved in your business and like do it? And he, I think his response was fuck no. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa. So I was kind of like offended. I was like, why not? And he, and his reasoning was he's just seen too many families um, break up and build resentment oh, yeah. and, 
and uh, he just didn't want to have that have that happen at all. And but I will say, for the families that have done it the right way, I would say most wind up in the camp of not working out well, and a few that really plan on it and and can know that resentments and all these negative feelings will come up, right? But they plan for them and they create these kind of uh, pressure valves or forced rhythms where they're, they're kind of confronting issues and clearing issues as they come up. Sure. Um, they've been super successful and it actually, if done well, can draw a family closer together. I totally agree. I mean, it, it, I'm speaking just of like what I experience. I see plenty of like in our industry, there's a lot of family businesses really, you know, on owner side or, you know, factory side. And they think they're, um, I admire them and they're making it work and they have great relationships, it seems. So yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, let's hope that it was really that he didn't want to create any future resentment and he just didn't think I was a, a douchebag. <laughs> well, I had no interest. <laughs> I had no interest going into like electrical engineering business. That was just like not even a question. So like, no. Is that what your parents did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, yeah, so my parents owned a electrical contracting and electrical engineering business. Yeah. Okay, so but that's I, I can't even screw in a light bulb. I mean, it's like I just have no interest. Okay, but you know what? You can design and place light bulbs everywhere. Yes, yes, yes. And you can get the lighting levels <laughs> just yes. right to make me yes. look amazing. Yes, that I can do. That I yeah. can totally do. Um. So it's interesting, you grew up in Switzerland. And when I think of Switzerland, I think of that kind of concierge key, right? And all the famous hospitality schools um, and learning and just all the leaders that have come out of Switzerland and kind of populated our industry. Um, how do you think that happened? Like where, where does that drive for, towards hospitality and, and speaking for all Swiss people right now, you have a oh, huge burden it. on your shoulders. You. <laughs> where is it? How, how do I, why do I associate Switzerland and hospitality? Um, I think what um, we as Swiss people had to, like we have no access to an ocean. We have zero, like, like there's no oil, there's no gold, there's no nothing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think our culture is definitely towards service. Um, we are a sort of geared towards being of service and providing good service, right? So banking service, hospitality service. Um, so I think that sort of, I have a feeling where that's coming from, um, really sort of um, our strength is who we are as people uh, being of service. Yeah. And as you're saying that and being of service, it's also, um, you know, historically, Switzerland is neutral, right? So it has to also make sure that everyone is ha heard and, and happy and keeping all, all sides of their borders like at ease, right? Because they're not a part of the EU either, correct? No, they're not. Mm -mm. They uh. just, I mean, we're just like, that's just hysteric. I forget, like in the 80s, I forget, or even 90s, became part of the UN. Like we were not part of the UN. There was like two countries in the world and one of them was Switzerland. It was hilarious. Yeah, But, you know, I have to tell you, it's so interesting that you're saying that it's really a cultural thing. It's, it's sort of innate, like I own this sense of like diplomacy. If there's a conflict, because, you know, what we do is like there's conflict, right? I mean, not on a world stage, you know, sort of war breaking out, but there's like, you know, clients or things are not happening. And I'm, I'm constantly trying to find a way to sort of like smooth over like, what is the solution? What can we find? I hardly ever sort of, 
lose my temper. It's really more about, okay, we have an issue. How can we solve the issue? And you start conversations with all these different people. And I think it just comes very natural to me. And I think it has something to do with how you grow up, right? You just don't, as a culture, you know? Yeah, as you're saying, that's really resonating with me because when you say conflict, I think so much of what we do, which is designing and furnishing hotels, right? We're taking these ideas and we're making them come to fruition after you place all your lights everywhere, right? In the simplest sense. Um, but so much of it I find is um, focusing and listening to what is unsaid to avoid yes. conflict and to get ahead of conflict. And also because when you're, when you, you're so, uh, you and and all of your colleagues who can take an idea and make it a physical place. I'm always so just impressed and it's just such an incredible superpower, but you're taking this kind of nebulous idea of what you're trying to accomplish, a thesis, if you will, and turning it into a space that you can walk, laugh, live, cry, love, like all these things within it. And in doing that, you have to be very open to every, not only, solidifying the vision, but getting everyone else to come on board. And then also just making sure that all of your visions are aligned. And a lot of that is just really hearing and conflict avoidance, right? It is. And I think what's also important is that you never, here's the thing, we always strive for hundred percent, right? I mean, there's a couple of exceptions in the industry that probably gets 99%, but I think the majority of us get sort of like, you know, 80 to 75%. And I think what's important, what you said is like your vision, you just can't lose track of what's really important to fight for what you need to keep and be able to say like, okay, I can live without that, right? So I think that's what I think is super important that you, you have this end goal and where can you compromise to keep that end goal and where you need to like put your foot down and say, if you're doing this, the whole concept might fall apart. I think that's sort of... Yeah. And, and also, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of having worked with you on countless projects, I've seen you with your vision. I've seen challenges get thrown at your vision, but then it's not so much about staying, okay, you stay 100% true to your vision, but it's also this idea that I've seen you do where it's, how do you get everyone else on yes. your vision, vision bus, if you will, right? Yes. And it's yes. like, okay, well, the vision might've been this super focused point there but hey how do we get our tent a little bit bigger yes that's yes. exactly that because i think at the, i mean i'm really bad that way like i love the process and i love walking into the final product but for me it's like it's such a team effort and it's sort of like the premiere happened the curtain open and i'm sort of like not attached and i just move on to the next thing and it's not mm -hmm. that i lost interest it's sort of like getting you engaged, get a client engaged, having conversation with the contractor or the architect or whatever to get us to that point, the door opens, the guests come in and they take over and my job is done and I just walk away, right? And I'm still looking back and I'm proud of it, but it's not like, you know, I have, I have colleagues who go back to their property and they get upset because the chair isn't where it's supposed to be, right? Because like, oh, someone moved it. And for me, it's like, my job is done and if they feel as they inhabit, inhabit this place that the chair needs to move over there, it's fine because I gave them a strong environment that things can move around, right? And then I lost control. <laughs> the moment you give something over, you 
let it go, right? And you move on to the next thing. And that's what's exciting. It's the process. It's the people involved. That's what I'm about. Yes, absolutely. And if you could share with us a project, like walk us through a project that you've done where, you know, you had a super tight focus and vision, but then, you know, you expand, you because of all the different stakeholders from the community to the client, to the contract, all the people were there, like having known where it got, a little wider than you wanted, but you were super, not just you, but you and all of the stakeholders were like overjoyed with the success. Like walk, walk us through one of those. Wow. Um, well, I, I guess I w- would have to go to, um, I would have to go to the gray, right? I mean, that's just because- In Chicago. Yeah, in Chicago. I mean, that was pretty much the first project that I worked on. And I, I think that um, in terms of, growth and and how this panned out i think it's a really great example i mean that was also the time where um kimson sort of transformed right into the the two parts Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think that's it's a very interesting um project so you know we started and um everybody kind of knew what a kimson's supposed to be it was like you know it's whimsical and all that stuff um but then as we evolved we decided no this really wants to be like something else and so we got into more like a classic design and then we had to deal with um you know historic aspects and so you know as we present uh, to the design you have an expectations to the executives what they think they know what they're looking at right a kimpton is this and then you know sort of with um you know with guidance we basically presented something that was outside what they knew so they're like oh we like this can we sell this because it's not really the typical um Kimpton as we know it right um and then you sort of like start building this right and then you of course you have a great vision and then the budget comes in and you know you need to adjust the vision and you know <laughs> you know all about that right what can we change the hardware here or oh, do we, whatever the, the normal process of getting something that's over budget into budget and then you start construction right and then all of a sudden because it was a conversion of an office building, then all of a sudden like, oh, we can't move this pipe. And then you have to sort of look into like, well, actually better, a better um, example is the, the um, elevator landings. I mean, if you go there, I mean, they're massive. They're- well, actually that's what I wanted to say. I know you, you said it was a, an office building conversion to a hotel, but I just wanna say, it wasn't just a regular office building. It was a beautiful, yes. and I still, as a building, an incredibly oh, beautiful, office building and i do in particular remember those elevators so walk yeah walk us through those elevator lobbies and then because i also think that as you tell this story i think that all of the growth in aesthetic and design and vision in what that gray was to what it became i think it also um gave kimpton a launch pad into growth and in where they're going and how they've grown globally, I think because it it really helped them break away from what might have been seen as a, a traditional Kimpton. And it was a, a kind of like this confluence of all these energies to make one plus one equal five. Three. And yes. Three? Yes. I'm going five. No, 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 no. I agree with five. I said, yes, oh, I agree. <laughs> I thought you said three. I was no, like, no, no. I love what? your math. I love your math. That yeah, was totally and, for me. And it was really like this kind of additive confluence of, of so many different parts that um, it was just the right place at the right time. 
Oh, I was so lucky. There's, there's no question about that. I, th I think that the transitioning um, of where they positioned, um, you know, Kimpton to be us being there, like being part of that and, and also, um, you know, help exploring what that could be. I think there's, I mean, that's the reason why I bring it back. I think that was definitely a milestone for us. So, you know, you want to maximize um, room sizes and you want to maximize all that stuff. So we basically got in there and said, we're going to make these elevated lobbies as small as possible, right? Um, the um, heritage, whatever the thing is called, came and said, you have to keep these elevated lobbies um, as they are. I mean, they're massive and they're like, you know, bowling alleys, really. Um, so as a designer, like you have a design done, right? And it's approved and you go forward. And then halfway through, they're basically saying, well, no, guess what? That design's not gonna work. You need to go and keep what's there. And I think that's where I, what I love about this is like, okay, now here is sort of that hurdle we have to jump over, right? How can you make something look effortless, which is not what you want it? I didn't want these elevator lobbies, right? I have to keep them. How can we now make the design we had work with what they tell us we have to do so that when people step out of these elevators, it looks like the most natural thing that needs to happen. And I think that is sort of what I love, what I love about the process. And when you talk about the 100% or we talk about, um, you know, sort of how things evolve, because you know, all of a sudden you also have to go back to ownership and then say, look, we need to keep this. And I think that's how we can manage this. And then you go from, you know, light to dark or we, you know, whatever you, I don't remember what I said, like, you know, seven years ago. Um, you were waving your hands a lot. I know, I've been doing that a lot. I mean, as you can see, like, I, I speak with my hands. Um, so I think that's sort of one example of like where you strive for a hundred, right? And then you got to like, oh my God, I can only do like 60. And then you make it work and it's sort of like this becomes, um, I mean, you think it needs to be the way. And so you go back to, you know, 100. And I think that's a, you need to be open. You need to be like focused. You have to have a vision. And then when that curveball comes, it's sort of like, oh, okay, how can I make this work? Right. Uh, I also want to just say how appreciative I am of hearing a Swiss person use a baseball metaphor there. That was great. I've been in the States way too long. <laughs> Do I know what it means? Not really. I mean, I know what it means when people use it, but like, yeah, don't ask me what it means in baseball. Don't know. Uh, so using the, the gray as that example of like, okay, you had this narrow tent or small tent, the tent got much bigger. And then to everyone's surprise, you wound up back at a hundred percent. I would even say with that project, um, more than a hundred percent because of all of the different, just kind of, of where it was in the timeline of just what Kimpton was, was going through with, uh, you know, spinning off their assets, becoming their own uh, management company, being acquired by IHG and really getting put on a platform for growth. And yeah. actually, as I'm saying that, there's so many companies that get acquired by other companies. And then you, the culture and the flavor gets kind of smashed out of it. And I remember sitting at one of these events, sitting next to someone from IHG, and I can't remember his name right now, but he, he was in charge of creating brand standards for IHG. And I remember saying to him, I was like, oh, so when are you going to start working on Kimpton? And this was the coolest thing I think I've ever heard. He goes, 
no way we would fuck that up so hard or something like that because they saw what a unique thing Kimpton was coming out of San Francisco. And it has such a, like a, a deep connection within my heart, Kimpton, because I think that was when I started my company back when I was 26, I think that was the, one of the first orders I ever got to furnish was um, it was, it was Kimpton and it was from Jennifer Ramsey. And I was just so grateful that she gave me a shot. So for me, Kimpton is just on this pedestal in my life and career path and, and journey. So Same. taking, right. For you too. Yeah, totally. So to take, and, and oh, man, that's a, that's awesome because on our entrepreneurial journeys, both started with Kimpton. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Okay. Let's pause on that one. For a second. That's really cool. <laughs> I know. Um, okay. So then to bring that kind of experience of small tent, big tent, it, it, where we are, like, how does that help you define what hospitality is? Because ultimately you're, de- you're delivering it there through your design, but how do you, how do you define hospitality post that experience? You know, I mean, you know, you, you warned me that a question like that would be coming, right? Um, and I have to think about that because I think we're all sort of like just, you know, uh, you go to a restaurant and you have a drink and all that stuff. But I, I think uh, looking back and looking at my career and all that stuff, it really goes to my experience of um, childhood and how I experienced how my parents sort of treated um, people, right? So we had uh, what I call today an open house policy. So we had, um, you know, you would drive nine o'clock in the evening, you drive by our house and there's light and people would just ring the doorbell. My parents would open the door and then just sort of let them in, you know, cup of coffee or, or a glass of wine. And then we started like talking about the world and politics and laughing, or maybe it was something about, um, you know, I don't know, problems in families or whatever. Um, so there was really sort of that openness and you let people in, you allowed them a sense of like, you're always welcome. Like I would go, you know, during the day you would go home and my mom was sitting at a coffee table with a friend having coffee and they're talking about something. And I, for me, that is sort of that sense of hospitality is about you're inviting people over. You don't really need to invite them over. You're just an open door and you're always welcome and it doesn't matter, right? I mean, my dad, sometimes we would call it like the French goodbye. You know, people show up at nine at 11 o'clock. He sort of pretends going to the powder room and just disappears and goes to bed, right? But people that never felt like, now it's time for me to leave because my mom was still engaging with them in the conversations, right? And we as kids were part of that, um, you know, engaging in conversations, learning about politics and being sort of, part of that grown up sensibility. And it's to this day, um, when we have dinner parties or people coming over, it's, it's a little bit of a casual affair for me because sort of like, you are welcome whoever or however you are, and you're gonna be, I wanna give you the platform to be who you are, um, you know, sort of accommodating, being of service again. So you need like a firmer pillow, I can find that for you or, you know, trying to accommodate at the same time it's never stiff or formal if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense right so if you look at what i actually do and my team does it's really the lifestyle and residential and i think there is a certain um attitude towards 
people coming to you, right? So for me, like the big box of 200 next to a convention center is a different attitude than 95 rooms. You know, I mean, people know that this might be, you know, a curio or a tapestry or whatever it is, right? Or a Kimpton, but it has its own name and people have their own personality and you go there and it feels like you're going to someone's home, mm. um, you know, being invited to that. If you were like, when you go back and think about those dinner parties, like what's your earliest memory of that? And like, how do you, like what, what's a thing that you really remember from your mom and dad of just an act that they did, or I know their door was open, but like, how would they make others feel comfortable when they came in? Did they just greet them with a fondue pot? Or, <laughs> like, sorry, I had to do I that. Know, no, no, of course I had to say that. <laughs> Um, like how here's his, yeah how would they do that what would what would the schneiders do um yeah how would they make people feel at ease so my parents hardly ever had dinner parties that's not something they did so it would be that my dad would be out and about and then call my mom and said i'm bringing three people over and they which is my mom would just make pasta and um you know, have dinner and conversations, right? Um, it's, what did they do? I think it's, it's a curiosity and an attitude towards other people. It's sort of like, um, I am curious what you can contribute to me, right? It's sort of like, let's have a conversation. I, look, that's what I love about having a conversation with you, right? I don't know where this is going right? But I'm curious where it's going. And I'm open about what may happen and come out of it, right? So you basically have an environment, you know, I grew up in a, my parents were quite stylish when they're, they got a bit more conservative when they got older, but when they were younger, they were sort of like, you know, stylish, but it was very eclectic. And the home had, there was no formality. So you walked in there, you sat on a comfortable chair, and they started like having conversations over a glass of wine or whatever so it was about I am curious what you have to contribute to me and that openness I think is really what was an invitation for people to show up because they knew they were welcome and my parents be interested in what they had to say even if it is like you know my wife just cheated on me or whatever right it's sort of um there was no limits to what the conversation might be yeah. And I, if just using that example, there's like almost no limit and no judgment, right? Correct. Well, just... so this is interesting. So I can say my mom passed a long time ago, so I can say that. So my mom is actually, was actually, she knew how the world would be and needs to be, to be a perfect place. And she did not held back on the opinion about that. Right. So the conversations will get sometimes heated because as open as she was, what you have to contribute, she would also judge it towards like her point of how the world should be, right? Um, so I think that's an interesting dynamic, her openness of like what you have to say combined with like, well, actually what you're saying, I'm totally disagreeing with you, right? So I learned sort of that you can have different opinions about people, you still can be open and, you know, be engaged in something. And you may, after two hours, decide that there was no 
conclusion that you both are wrong, you both are right, right? But there was a, an engaged conversation. I think that's something I appreciate to this day. But I, and hearing that is so refreshing, especially now because, and I know you, you know, you you sat up there and said, well, it wasn't that there was no judgment. And I see where she may disagree, but I feel like we've lost that place where we can disagree with others and still be cool. You know, it's like, yes. hey, I don't agree with what you're saying. I don't hate you. And yeah, tell me about like, how did you get there? I'm curious. Like, I don't agree with you. I, you'll probably never convince me to agree with you. But how did you get to that point? And I feel like that's missing from our discourse now. I totally agree. I totally, I think what I think is very, very interesting. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm of a certain age, we just talked about that yesterday in the office. I'm a certain age, like technology, what I experienced from what was possible to where we are now, where you're basically holding a computer in your hands mm -hmm. is staggering, right? I mean, I remember when my dad walked in with the first, like, oh, look, a fax came in. Can you believe this is possible, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> But what happened is you had to interact with people face-to-face, -face, right? So I, I feel because you had to engage with people, there's a certain courtesy and a certain kindness towards others. So even if you disagree, you still have to go and meet. So I grew up in a very small town, right? So what was, what was the nearest big city again? Well, Bern. Oh, Bern. Okay. So you're well, between it's... Zurich and uh, between Zurich and Geneva, right? Yeah, about a halfway. Okay. Yeah, about a halfway. As you know, Switzerland, when I say big, I mean, Bern has like 135,000 people living That's there. A big so town. Like... <laughs> and the, and yes. the trains are on time. The trains are in time, yes. I'm still in time, believe it or not. After 30 years in the States, I'm like, I'm on time. But um, so what I think happened is as we got into the computer on the hand and we start detaching ourselves from interacting with others, the language started changing. And I think we got more, we're getting less, we're filtering less of what we're saying. We're thinking less about the impact of our words to others, right? I mean, it's very hard and I do the same thing. I'm guilty, right? There's a conflict, there's a phone and there's an email. 95% of the time we email because it's easier to say something unpleasant than picking up the phone and saying, this is not working, right? But the time where parents grew up or I grew up is like, you didn't have that option. You had to maybe write the letter and put it in the mail, which took like whatever, three days before you got a response. So you were more in tune with the impact your words have on other people, right? And I think we're losing that of like words do matter and you can say something in disagreement without being hurtful or mean about it, right? Yeah, and I, yeah, and I want that back. I like I don't know. I'm a phone person to me, but you know, it's also we're all so busy and so crammed from Zoom to Zoom to Zoom to Zoom that it's it's hard. I think we're all being so much more efficient with our time now, but we're also losing out on a lot. Yeah, and I think you can say something very open. You just cannot come from a mean place. You know, mm -hmm. I've. I mean, you and I had, in terms of business, had to have frank conversations where yeah. like, you know, it's just not working or whatever, but I never come from 
I mean, please, you're doing the best you can. I'm doing the best you can. I, I can. And then let's figure out how we can solve the problem. And it's not like you are, you know, a loser or I don't want to use any other sort of word to people against me. You're an um, asshole. Right now, exactly. Thank you for saying that, right? Yeah. You're not getting anything done and you're not, yeah. right? Totally. And yeah, and I think a lot of that also comes from just good intentions, right? Yes. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, so kind of as you're seeing where we are and you're looking forward and, you know, kind of going with that theme of, you know, not of missing out on connection. Right. Uh, I think that we're all starved from in certain, in a certain level or travel or experience. Um, what's keeping you up at night these days? Um, you're like, where do I begin? No, it's, it's, oh, look, I don't want to complain about it. Um, too much work. Yeah. And not enough people. That really what keeps me. I have an amazing team. I mean, I've, mm -hmm. I'm really lucky that you do. Um, I'm drawn, like, I'm drawn to great people and it seems to be working out really well. So we're um, a great team. And, um, you know, you're a small business seeing, you're saying yes to what's coming in because you're freaking out. It's not coming in. And all of a sudden you have, a lot of work mm -hmm. and um, we're definitely in a difficult time where it's hard to find the people that fit. Yeah. You know, you know what? I love how you say fit also, because to me over the years, I found that, okay, <laughs> hiring for culture or for that fit is so hard. First of all, you have to know what your fit is. You have to know what your culture is. Um, but it's almost like I, I believe hire for fit and then the rest kind of follows suit. Because if you're aligned on your outlook in life and the world and kind of just what's expected from, from values and the values can be anywhere, um, everyone else can figure it out. So how do you, how do you find fit for, for your team? Like what does fit mean to you? Um, <laughs> one of my... Uh... One of my team members um, said something very interesting. She said, like, we're all a bit weird. And um, that to me was like amazing because it's about you should be able to be yourself, right? Because I feel that if you're yourself, you come to work and you're having a great time, you produce and you're being productive. Yeah. I love people who are, unafraid of just being themselves right and i want to allow that platform for people to show up and be themselves and be a little bit weird um if that's the case i don't think they are um for me they're real people and i love that that nobody comes in here and i feel they're putting on the show for eight hours and they go back home right so we have this sort of interesting camaraderie of like strange personalities great personalities i don't mean strange by character more like a diverse group of people come together and make this work you unlike hold on yeah. because as you're yeah. saying that also uh in one of our previous conversations where i was talking about where you're saying we're we're weird or something or and then it's kind of like we're just being us we're just being open honest yeah. ourselves and the crazy thing is that is weird to many people. Yes. Most people are wearing a mask or this or that. Yes. And they can't, and it's almost like 
people who are wearing that mask are just kind of going through life, oftentimes they get repelled by people just being real or weird. And it's really weird that we have to say that we're weird. I know. I totally agree. No, I totally agree with you. Yes. The discomfort of like being, um, yeah, just being sort of yourself, right? And I I feel like I just, I, I love going to work and I love hanging out with the team. There is no question that I'm the boss, right? Because I mean, clearly they get the paychecks for me, right? But at the same time, it's like, I'm not someone that people are afraid of. I'm part of the team and mm-hmm. we're working together on figuring things out, right? And it just happens that I'm the leader and I have to like make some final decisions, right? But it's not like, here is the boss and then there's the team, right? So I'm really part of the team. So when I look for people um, and I don't, I can't explain how I do this, but I have conversations with people mm-hmm. and I just kind of watch how, um, how they interact with me, mm-hmm. right? And then sort of like the center of like, that person is trying really hard to impress me or that person, like, I don't, I don't have a problem if a person is shy, you know, it's like, you know, here's the boss that never met me. You know, she person is mid twenties, probably second interview they ever had. Um, so that's not what I mean, but I think there is, there's a way when you feel that people are trying hard to impress or if they're sort of like being themselves and it's just a bit awkward, if that makes any sense. Right. And I go for like, it's a bit awkward because I kind of feel there is more um, authenticity there. I know it's an overused word, but I feel there's like more authenticity there of like who they really are than trying to impress me in the first interview. Yeah. And I, you know, and just, I totally get that. And, you know, just thinking about our relationship over the years and our entrepreneurial journey and where we're like trying to figure shit out as we go, it's, interesting because like you want to keep this game face on like hey everything is great oh my god what how am i going to do this how am i going to find the right people with the right fit or what whatever is whatever challenge is coming at us but i feel like there are those other kindred kindred entrepreneurial spirits where you know what hey christian we can be vulnerable with each other and share this stuff with each other and it leads to some really amazing experiences and conversations that i think is all stemmed in like vulnerability right and and i i also feel that a good thing coming out of this whole pandemic and being you know restrained from the people we would normally see or the experience that we would normally have is i think people are being while there is so much suffering and and everything i don't want to discount that but i do think people coming out of this realizing how short life is and being more vulnerable and kind of skipping all the surface stuff and getting to a bit of a deeper place. And that to me uh, is ho- I'm, I'm hopeful for because um, I'm seeing it. And when you think about the future, like what's exciting you most about the future? Um, wow. <laughs> World peace. Um, <laughs> no, well, it's just, I guess. He's not on I, the Lakers I, anymore. No. <laughs> No, I, this is a big question, but I think what you just said about, um, you know, people connecting and, you know, I've connected with some people haven't um, on a level uh, before pandemic, sort of like 
left you lift your life and then all of a sudden you sort of connect and you do zoom meetings and you know we haven't done that uh before uh i am hoping what you're saying is true that people are a little bit more unafraid of sharing a little bit more what's going on in their lives because i, I think that we're all sometimes trying too hard to like show the best face right and i just don't think when I show you a deeper thought that's maybe not so attractive, I feel that at the end of the day, that makes you more attractive because you actually opened up um, part of who you are and you showed a trust in another person to share something that is maybe not as beautiful as you would like the world to know, right? Yeah. Um, and again, I think for me, it's also how, again, how I grew up because that's part of, what do you do where you sort of, you know, engage people on a little bit of a deeper level as well. So I'm hoping that maybe the future is that we were less afraid of just looking good, but also just share a bit more about all of our vulnerable sites in life. Yeah. And, you know, as you were saying that, and I think you, you strung the words together of just not, you said it better than I'm going to repeat it, but showing a side of us that might not not be as beautiful actually brings us closer together. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and I'm, in, I'm living in Los Angeles, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's all about, you know, yes. I t- yes. 100%. Now, and then, so then again, as you were saying that, it kind of brought me back to that no judgment, disagreement, agreement, you know, where your mom and what you were experiencing was, okay, you have your worldview they have theirs. You both are probably right, but like, how do we bridge those gaps to become closer together? Right. And it's, it's, I think it's, that's about trust and respect. Absolutely. And I I think at the end of the day, and I was just thinking about that, um, what I'm also excited about what I can contribute, right. It's about people. It's about not me. It's about my contribution to others. And if you take yourself a little bit less serious or out of the equation that the world is just about you and around you, but you're more about what can I contribute to others, I think these conflicts can be very different. You know, I, I work for clients or with you know, vendors and manufacturers where political views could not be more opposed, right? Um, mm-hmm. I deeply respect what they do. We thoroughly enjoy working together and we just respect that we will not talk about certain things and you don't have to talk about everything. And I deeply enjoy working for these clients, vendors and manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't agree with them. And that's okay. It's perfectly okay. Yeah. The world would be so boring and if everybody would be the same. Well, look, world peace would happen if they were all like me. There's no question about that, right? But it would be really boring. Totally. And then you you said something there. It was what it's about people and what you can contribute to others. And then bringing that back to the whole Swiss idea of service, right? And that's kind of where hospitality is because in in a resource starved country, really the only way that you can make the people passing through 
is by serving them and making them yes. feel comfortable, right? And then yes. really honing that service. Then you said also earlier that there's, you know, you're lacking oil and gold, but there's a lot of gold and it's all hidden in those mountains. <laughs> right? Well, that's we like, look, okay, we can, that's like another <laughs> podcast for like just talking about that. It's like, better not go yeah. there. But yes, there is some dark. Yes, there's a lot of darkness there as well. Yes. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting that. Well, hold um, on. Yes, darkness, yes. But also, in that level of service too, it was, there was this level of trust that also yes. helped people say, oh, I trust the Swiss. Like it's, you know, even what is it? The Pope has the Swiss guard surrounded yes. around him, right? Yes, or, he does. Yeah, him. It's always been a him. I'm not, yeah, maybe it'll change. We're someday. not, there. we're not, probably not in our lifetimes, but yes. no, who knows? You never know. <laughs> progress, right? Yeah, progress. progress exactly. Um, you know, actually it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I, People love working with me as clients because I think at the end of the day, I give the sense of like, it will be okay. We'll get there, right? It's not, it's not out of control. We'll get to there. There's no drama. I get it. It's not going quite well right now, but just trust me, we'll get there. So the sense of security that I take care of them, I have their best interest in mind as I do what I do. And I think mm -hmm. that's, the same as you just said, right? You sort of have that trust in there. But that's, I think it's a way of being, um, you know, and, and really sort of standing into like, what am I for others and what can I do? And I think that's hopefully what will continue to be the success of the company, not just doing great design, but also delivering that sort of service um, to our clients, what I feel like taken care of. Yeah, I love that. A guy said to me the other day, it was very interesting. He said to me, he's like, you're not designing for designers. You're designing for people. And I never thought about that, but he's absolutely right. Right. I am, I'm not so like, there are some amazing designers that I really admire. And I just always excited what is next, mm -hmm. what they do, but they definitely have their brand and their design in mind. While I, and my team really think more about how do people feel about it. I design for people and not for other designers. Actually, as you were saying that, it made me think of your design journey because you went to a prestigious architecture school. You went to CyArk, right? Yes, I did. And you mm -hmm. studied architecture. I did. How did you make the decision to go from architecture to interiors? Oh, that was an accident. So I'm oh, right. way overeducated in architecture. So I, in Switzerland, started as a draftsman and I got the bachelor's degree and I was unhappy to have to be more to architecture. This cannot be it. And I got into the master's at SciArc. Amazing experience. Go back into the world. And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't like architecture. I don't know. Just something about it. Just, I don't know why. And then I almost lost my visa and I needed a job. Hmm. And a friend says, this interior designer has a job opening. And I was like, I'll take it. And then all of a sudden, when I start doing that, it's like, that's what was missing in my life. And what it is, is I am not a intellectual designer. I'm an emotional designer. Architecture and school tends to be a lot of theory, tends to be a lot of like analytics. And it's about... Um, and I know it and I like, I love the idea of it and I totally understand it, but I cannot connect. And then we started designing restaurants that first job and all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, this is like, 
a stage set for what I call the drama of life. Like all of a sudden it's about how do you feel sitting in this restaurant, right? And it has yeah. to function. There's no question about that. But it's like, now I'm touching the emotion of people. And that's what excites me. And I think where you said, I design for people, not other designers. I feel like, again, a sweeping generalization about architects, but the ones who are working on those big, ginormous edifices that are just, it's like, it's uh, this idea of look at this and marvel, right? It's this cold, oftentimes cold, large structure. Yes, they do take the interiors into account, but I find that I thoroughly enjoy spaces that are designed by interior designers. I'm sorry, architects, but it's uh, because they're really taking the people into account. It's much more democratic in a way. You know what I mean? Yes. I, um, <clears throat> we have a, a small project in, uh, in Palo Springs. I'm super excited about. And um, the client walked us to a comp set and we walked to the site and we were around the pool and it's absolutely stunning. A really, really beautiful. And he looked to me and he said, it's like, it's really beautiful, but something is just off here. And I said, yes, it's designed for a photograph. It's not designed for people. People in here are a disturbance. They are not here to activate space. This has been designed to be an object to be photographed and not be lived in. And I can't do that. So for me, it's all about, when you look at my designs and you know, I can, walk you through that I like the element of it's not quite perfect right so there's the eclectic mix that I like or sometimes we have to improvise a bit because I feel that's the invitation for people to also just be and not be the disturbance of something that's beyond stunning right I feel what we do is an environment for people and it's not an environment for a great photograph Right. Yeah. And that kind of solved an answer for me. It's like you hear this, hey, what's after the Instagrammable moment? And I always looked at the Instagram moment as like this little vignette within something. But when you really zoom out and look at a space that you can totally tell when it's designed for a photograph and the people totally fuck it up. And (laughs) again, I don't like being in those places. Yes. My point. Look, I mean, to my detriment is like, you know, I'm not I mean, I'm being very dramatic this way, right? But it's harder for my spaces to get into publications because they just don't photograph as well as others because I'm less concerned about how it photographs, right? For me, as I said, I hand over the key and then people start using that space and that makes me happy. I mean, the gray, going back to this, right? So it's up for renovation and ownership asked, you know, what they would like to do. And I basically said, we would like to just keep the same. Can you just renovate and keep exactly what you have? And for me, it's like, well, that's a huge compliment because it means like we designed something that you as the operator, you own that. Like you, this mm-hmm. is your home, right? And well, it did photograph well, but um, <clears throat> at the end of the day, that's really what I care more about, that people own this and are proud of what they have. And it's not about you know, do I have a coffee table book in everybody's home? That should not be the goal. And I realize this. And that's the nice thing about starting a business a bit earlier in li- later in life, mm-hmm. that that ambition is maybe not as, <laughs> you know, I was 20. I thought it was like, yeah, I am the one who's going to be like, you know, change the world. Yeah, and- no, 
it, there's a, a certain serenity that comes along with it, I think. And just, yes. And I, I enjoy and appreciate with my team that we're turning out really beautiful work for people to enjoy. That's I think you just about. wrote your new tagline. <laughs> beautiful work for people to enjoy. Yes. Um, okay. I want you to go back in time to a dinner party or not a dinner party, but a, a gathering that your, your dad just brought three people over, right? Your mom is there listening, talking, sharing her worldview. And you're there also. Now I want you, the, the Christian you are now, to go back and speak to the younger Christian. And what advice do you give yourself? Wow. Um, uh, I think um, probably worry less about what people think of you uh, and be a bit more adventurous because nothing is really gonna happen, right? I did accomplish everything I wanted so far in my life but it took an awful long time to get there. <laughs> you know, like I could have done this 20 years ago, right? And I didn't. If you took yourself less seriously. Correct. Or oh. not, or, you know, sort of have that comfort level I have today if I had that 20 years ago, right? I think that's mm. what it is. Instead of getting, I'm of a certain age, you know, sort of the process of a gay man and coming out as, in the 90s, 80s, a different production than it is in 2020, right? So you go through all this and it's informed me and it made me very successful in terms of how I interact with people. But it was also a lot of um, protection so that um, people, like you have to be in charge of the conversation, do not be outed or being questioned, right? Mm -hmm. So you learn the skill of communication, you learn the skill of, observing people like you get to know people you you sort of ask the right questions to sort of like deflect from you so that really helped me to where I am today and I'm, sounds really awful but I'm grateful for that right but if I go back what you ask me to I will probably tell myself don't worry about it don't um, be who you are and don't wait 30 years to get there does that make sense? Uh, One million percent. Because it also goes back to that idea of just where I find I didn't know the I didn't know the the Christian before coming out, right? I've only known you as Christian, right? So I I've only known you as the real you. I can't imagine you and dealing with all the masks and deflection and this. You'd be like a Swiss spy then. <laughs> Well, yes, a little bit. I, I have to tell you, um, and that's the reason why I love evangelism and all that stuff. Like, I learned a different language, right? So I learned English later in life. I came to LA and I recreated my life, right? I was able to use words in English that I would never use in German because I have no social attachment to that, right? I mean, I use the F word all the time. It doesn't mean anything. It's just the word, right? Yeah. While other people's like, you can't say that. You can't say shut up. You can't say like, I don't know. It doesn't mean anything to me, right? That freedom that came with speaking and not worry about what it means socially 
helped me sort of like open up and become more of who I really was, um, you know, almost like as a child, right? Before you go through this whole awful. Mm -hmm. When people ask me, would you go back to your twenties? Like, no, never. Like, I don't want to be in my twenties again. Um, that was not a good time. But I think that going elsewhere, learning a different language and really discovering yourself of like who you are, because you have to almost reinvent yourself or you have to discover yourself to be able to express yourself in a different language, right? I don't think How it's do a matter of reinventing. I think it's, you know, your authentic or your true spiritual self was just yes. bo boxed up for too long. Yes, correct. That's correct. You needed, you needed, um, some of those tools to open the, all those Amazon packages you've been having at an <laughs> earlier age. <laughs> and what I love about Los Angeles, and this is probably the same in New York, people just don't care. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever, right? It's so large and, and you just be yourself and you start discovering yourself again. And it's just totally exciting. Yeah. And just being open and being true. Yeah. I love it. Exactly. Um, Christian, this has been amazing. How do people get in touch with you if they want to apply for one of those jobs that you definitely need to hire? Um, well, there's two ways, right? So there is hello at bellicodesign.com. Um, and then on social media, all the handles are at bellicodesign.com. And bellico is spelled B-E-L-E-C-O. And explaining what it means, again, that's a different podcast. Yes, we'll, we'll get you on for the meeting <laughs> later. Um, <laughs> But I just want to obviously thank you. I mean, our friendship over the years has just been so important. And it was so good to see you in December and hug you. And uh, that was, I can't believe it was fucking two years. So thank you yes. for hugging me. Thank you for being here and giving me your time. And thank you, Christian. No, thank you. This has been extraordinary. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And I want to say thank you to all of our listeners. If this has changed your view on how to give or receive hospitality, um, please pass it along to your friends. We're growing and growing and we just love getting the word out there because hospitality makes a difference for everyone. Thank you. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.